In today's episode, we discuss a deadly disease affecting our feline companions, Cytox zoonosis, commonly known as bobcat fever. Joining us today is board-certified veterinarian Dr. Michelle Evison, who is an expert in this field. Dr. Evison will share her valuable insights on this disease, its impact, and ways to protect our beloved cats. Stay tuned for an informative discussion here on the Family Pet Podcast. Welcome into the Family Pet Podcast, the podcast for curious pet parents, where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. I'm your host, Michael Shirley, joined by my brother, Stephen. Welcome in, brother. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. I've, I've been a little itchy lately. Do you have fleas and ticks? This is not the podcast episode for fleas and tick prevention. I do not have fleas. Chickers? But I did have ticks. I have... Um, I got into some ticks on the farm recently. I'm preparing for the big father-son campout that we host every year. And uh, I was clearing some brush, and I got into some seed ticks. When ticks bite me, no matter how long they're on, my body goes into, like, hyper-reactivity. I get, like, boils on my skin from where they bite. I need to remind you that... I am not the country boy. Because you don't ever go outside in the I woods? I live, I live, although our You're house... supposed to be a backpacker. Uh, no, sure. the last time you did that? It has been a while. But yeah. no, I, I, I have not seen a tick on my body in years, so I can't, I can't answer that. Well, you're lucky, because these little boogers will be with me. The scar, I mean, basically they scar, and I look, I look terrible, I, I'm, well, nobody wants change. to see nobody wants to see my legs anyway. But uh, I do not w- wear shorts because the tick bites look gross. They look they look terrible. People may be going, "What what are we talking about today?" Ticks we have in previous episodes. I think Zoe was the one uh, one of our licensed medical technicians talked to us about tick borne diseases. Um, there's a lot of nasty things that come from ticks. I bathe in DEET. Uh, when I go out and work on the farm, and this particular day, I guess I just didn't spray enough. I am petrified of the chance that I might get the meat allergy, alpha gal. From that's a tick. right, from a tick. Yes. Yeah, to to become allergic to meat based on a tick bite would be a horrible. It would be the war. It would add insult to injury for that to happen. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're, today we're talking about a tick-borne disease that is specific to cats. And um, neither you nor I are an expert in this area. So no. we have found yet another, good job, Stephen, another board-certified veterinarian to come in and talk to our curious pet parents today. Uh, we have a, a Dr. Michelle Evison, who is a board-certified small animal Small Animal Internal Medicine. So, Dr. Evison, welcome into the Family Pet Podcast. Thank you both so much for having me today. And I think we're all glad it's a podcast episode after that tale about your legs. Well, we are going to be adding video very soon. <laughs> I and did. I could see myself like throwing my leg up on, like, check a, take a look at this. Everybody should be very thankful we don't have the video yet. Nobody wants to see my ankles right now. So <laughs> Nobody got time for that. Nobody. So, so Dr. Everson, thank Makes you for... me happy I do catch the dogs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't... The people... Mm-mm. I couldn't do people medicine. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. Today we're going to be talking about a, a disease that is um, specific to cats called bobcat fever, or the, please help me with the pronunciation of the proper way for this disease. What do we, how do we describe this properly? 
Well, hopefully I won't stumble over it also. It's psychoxazoonosis. And right. yes, bobcat fever is the, the more fun name. <laughs> That's right. I'll just stick with bobcat fever. Why the heck do we call it bobcat fever besides the fact that it's hard to pronounce cytoxazoonosis? Well, that was actually going to be my fun fact. So oh. Thank you for bringing it up. And so we, we call it bobcat fever because bobcats can actually get this disease too and are considered to be sort of the reservoir or, or the home turf, if you will, for this particular parasite that can cause this deadly disease in cats. So let's just break it down. Let's back up a second. What is cytoxzoonosis? And is it cytoxzoonosis or zoonosis? Zoonosis. Zoonosis, because we have zoonotic. I don't know. I think it's just a way you pronounce it. Okay, cytoxzoonosis. <laughs> there you go. There we go. See, we're learning already. We're educating even how to say it. Cytoxzoonosis. What is it? What does it do? And, and how do our cats get it? Yeah, so it's a, a very severe and, and awfully deadly, often deadly infection of cats that's specifically caused, and this is where the name comes from, uh, a parasite called Cytoxazoon felis, so the felis being for cats. And what can happen is that cats, if a tick, a specific kind of tick, which you sort of gave one of those ticks away at the start of the the chat today, um, if one of those ticks is attached to a cat long enough, so usually 36 to 48 hours, it can pass this infection into the cat, and then the parasite really likes some of the cells that are in cat's blood, like red blood cells, for example, and so starts the infectious process there. You you mentioned being attached to the cat for 36 to do you say 46 hours what what is it about 36 to about 48 hours 48 yeah, hours okay we think so far yeah what is the significance behind that number like why why not five yeah, minutes no and it's a it's a great question and, and i think you sort of again alluded to this at the start of the talk the talk so ticks carry this parasite in their own bodies and then when a tick bites and attaches to a cat that it takes some time before the parasite within the tick's body is transferred into the cat's body. And we think, based on the research that's been done, that that time frame that tick has to be attached to the cat for is between 36, so just over a day and a half, to two days for that infection to be passed from the tick's body into the cat's body. Does that make sense? It it does make sense. It's fascinating. So, th- this it has the life cycle of this parasite has to go through the tick. Absolutely. And as, are there more than you, we mentioned the Lone Star tick? Are there other ticks that can can be trans uh, that transmit this, or is it only the Lone Star st- tick? So it is two of of the two ticks that can transmit this one. Definitely the Lone Star tick, or the official scientific name, which I may muff up the pronunciation of this one, which is Amblyoma americanum. That's a Lone Star tick. And then the other tick that can also transmit um, Cytoxazoon felis is the American dog tick, or Dermacenter variabilis. The American dog tick. I didn't know that. That's, I'm learning something new today. Yeah. I'm learning lots. <laughs> what are the symptoms? I think, um, oh. yeah, I, th- I think the Lone Star tick gets a lot more attention because it tends to be a more aggressive tick. Um, but to your question, you know, what are the symptoms and, and signs in, in cats um, so that we can be alert to this? Um, it sort of falls into three different 
just what we say presentations. So some cats actually are really lucky and they don't have any signs. And so we call that a subclinical infection. Um, but most cats that are infected um, get really severe clinical disease, which can start with like a sudden fever. Um, they may act weak. They may be kind of tired. They may not want to eat or vomit. And uh, for veterinarians that are perhaps listening, that's kind of like every sick cat ever, right? Like they, right? they kind of all tend to do that a little bit when they get sick. So it can make it a little tough to sort out that that's what they've got um, until we start doing some some testing to sort it out. But those are sort of the, the key um, signs that we see in cats that get sick is that they're suddenly they have fever or temperature, they're weak, they're tired, they may not want to eat, vomit, and diarrhea. And then, unfortunately, that can progress really quickly to the stage where the parasite infects the cells and cats start to throw clots in their body or their red blood cells start to break down and it causes an anemia. They may turn yellow or have icterus um, and they may do this thing where they really start to vocalize and we actually in veterinary medicine call it a, a death yowl um, because they're so severely ill and they're decompensating so quickly. It is one of the worst things that I've seen my wife have to deal with as a veterinarian here uh, is and we I feel like we see it more in the spring um, and then maybe sometimes we'll see it towards the end of the summer is there yeah. is there a reason that we might see it like that like we're like oh here we go it's that time of the year again it, it's a great question and it's a great thing to notice because absolutely it all kind of comes back to the ticks right and so the time of year when the ticks are the hungriest if you will or are really wanting to bite everything they can sort of get their little tick bodies on, um, in this case cats, is from April to September and usually those sort of peak times are earlier in the start of the season, so spring, and then in and towards the fall, which we're moving into now. But but definitely between April and September we see this the most because that's when the ticks are the most aggressive and then biting and then passing on these infections to cats. And, and I would agree with your wife, it's, it's awful to see this in the kitties. You talked about the the cat exhibiting what you called a death yell, yowl. Yeah, you use death. Is that one of the the outcomes for an infected cat? So what's really hard about this disease is that it, it used to be, and things have changed a little bit, but not as much as we'd like, is that almost every cat that got this particular parasite would decompensate or become critical very fast and die. Um, and they would give this sort of vocalization as their body was, was shutting down. I know this is very grim, I'm sorry. But yeah, it is a, a rather horrific disease and, and one that's entirely preventable with, with tick prevention, right? Well, let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, how, how do we prevent this? Um, it, yeah, and, and that's, you know, it's always, I always quote you sort of Ben Franklin, right? That ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so if you can kind of stop ticks from biting and attaching to cats with regular use of veterinary approved products for tick prevention and you can stop this from even happening in cats. What are some things that our pet parents need to be looking for if they really want to make sure that they're using a product that will prevent these ticks? What, what should they be looking for on the label? 
probably a great place to start is by checking in with their veterinarian or nurse or technician at the veterinary clinic to, to help with that. But the thing that we're wanting on the label here is because we know the two ticks that can cause this disease are the Lone Star tick as well as the dog tick is making sure that on the label of the veterinary approved product, it says that it's effective against both those types of ticks. And there are, of course, other reasons to have cats on tick prevention too, because although we're talking about cytoxidinosis, um, there are certainly other diseases that cats can get from ticks as well. So a, a lot of reasons for the kitties to be on tick prevention. You you mentioned that this was kind of grim, that we were talking about the, the death yow, but People need to understand that this is preventable. Like, there's some people that are yeah. hesitant to use prevention. They don't want to put a topical on for whatever reasons they have, or they don't want to give their pet um, an oral medication to repel um, or kill ticks if they if they attach to their cat. But the alternative is a very tragic way to die, and there's not a lot that we can do for treatments in, in these areas. By the time people notice it, it's usually too far gone to treat. Is that correct? Oftentimes, yes. We've, we, as the veterinary profession, and, and certainly through the work of a couple specific researchers, have made some progress with respect to treating these cats, and I think conversations like we're having today to raise awareness that this is something that can happen are really helpful to try to identify it sooner and then use some of those specific drugs to treat this. But, but yeah, a, a lot of cats that get this disease, even still these days, will die in, in part because this parasite moves through the blood so quickly that without intervening rapidly, many cats still will, will die acutely, which is not what anybody wants. Dr. Everson, as I looked at this disease a little bit in preparation for the show, I noticed that the the incident rate across the nation is not equal um, in that cytoxuan, cytoxenosis, I can't, bobcat fever, <laughs> is not necessarily nationwide. Where is it located and, and why, why is it spread out the way it is? Yeah, and it's, it's a great question, and again, it comes back to the ticks, right? So the Lone Star tick, we, we pretty much think of as a very southern, south-central USA-type tick. And, you know, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, has tick maps, actually. And so you can go on CDC and sort of look where these ticks live, and that's where we tend to see cytoxonosis. Um, and so the Lone Star tick, again, a very aggressive tick, which will actually run towards you um, if you're outside and it senses a, a blood meal is, is on the horizon, um, is mainly all up along the eastern coast of the U.S. And, and actually all the way up even into New York. But then mainly that south central USA southeast, whereas the dog tick which doesn't tend to be quite as aggressive, um, is east of the Rocky Mountains and then in a couple patchy spots along the California coast. And so that's probably why you're noticing that the distribution of where this disease is occurring is, is not throughout the whole United States because it really is happening where these ticks live um, and also during the time of the year when they're really hungry. You may or may not know the answer to this. How do the ticks get the parasite themselves? Do they pass it on to their offspring when they lay their... Or do they give live birth or do they lay eggs? I don't even know the answer to that. 
No, it's it's a great question, and it kind of comes back to that bobcat fever, right? And so bobcats are, are the what we call reservoir, and so they they sometimes get sick, but most of the time they're not. Um, oh, and this is true okay. for some cats as well. And so when the ticks bite the bobcat or a cat that is not showing signs but still has the parasite within their blood, the tick sucks this up into their own body and then passes it along to a cat. And, it's and then that cycle just continues. Just continues. And, and I want our listeners to, to hear me well here. Even if your cat is an indoor cat, you need to be on tick prevention because just like I told you, I, I go outside and work or hike or we go on a, I can pick up ticks on my clothing and bring them into my house and they can find their way to my indoor cat only um, or indoor only cat. Absolutely. So I can't describe how bad it is to watch a cat suffer from, from this disease, um, from this parasite, and it's totally preventable. And if your cat is indoor only, you still should be on tick prevention. That's my soapbox. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it's second only yeah. to my passion about heartworm prevention, which again is also located in the south, <laughs> primarily. Right. But because of travel, because of mobility, the the American mobility, yeah. nothing is isolated from anywhere else. Correct. No, I agree. And, and, you know, to your point about indoor only, the same thing I would echo for heartworm, right? Like these mosquitoes, ticks, they, mm-hmm. they get inside either from the family dog or from people doing yard work. And so being indoor only is, is not a preventive tactic. What else should we have uh, asked you about bobcat fever that we did not? Um, I think one of the things is that is there is some hope. Um, again, there's been a lot of, of research done by some pretty incredible veterinarians onto drugs that we can use. And so we know that if we intervene early with specific drugs like azithromycin or one called etovaquone, we can increase the survival rate. Um, a lot of these cats will, are pretty sick, so they also need transfusions. And so if we know that it's happening and we recognize that on various tests, we, we do have some treatments that can work. I think another thing to recognize is that cats that are treated aren't cured. We just sort of decrease the amount of parasites that can cause signs. So even if cats have been treated, um, they're not immune to having it happen again, and they, they do need to become indoor cats and stay on prevention so they don't keep perpetuating the cycle with the tick that's another piece that more and more interesting piece so they can they can get they can get over their infection but they'll they'll always have the parasite yeah that's what we what we think Think. right now and so what we're doing with treatment is we're not curing them per se we're just decreasing the amount of parasite that they're carrying Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't cause them to feel sick okay so the, the and the parasite is what's causing all of the blood problems like circulation problems and that's what we're dealing with right is that what we're saying that it's absolutely okay. right i mean it much as this is awful you kind of have to give some respect to these parasites oh, yeah. because they they really know what they're doing um and even to the point where they can continue to live on um, after the cat has been effectively treated dr Fson- Thank you for the the information. I know that I learned quite a bit. Michael's over here going, I did not know that. I didn't know that. No, I'm wondering if I still, right, I'm going to do more research. <laughs> it's, it's, it has sparked information. The life, cycle, the life cycle of all these parasites, heartworms, for example, same thing. Like the fact that it has to go through um, a, another host, it's just fascinating to me. And like you said, the, 
viruses are the same thing. They, they impress me and their desire and will to live and infect more. And their effectiveness of yeah. killing. Correct. Yeah. That too. Thank you for, for coming on. If people wanted to learn more about Cytotzoan, <laughs> Bobcat fever, <laughs> such as how to pronounce it. I think we've psyched ourselves out. It is. I've just, I, I, anyway, if, if people are wanting to learn more, where can they go? Well, do you have any helpful resources? Yeah, and that's one thing that I I wish there were actually more. The Companion Animal Parasite Council, or what we say the CAPC group, um, they do have some information on this particular parasite right on their website, and that's probably a good place to start. And so, again, that's the Companion Animal Parasite Council, and you can just look under the C on the the search button for cytoxazoonosis, and it kind of walks you through a lot of the information that we've talked about today um, and also has some cool pictures on there for how this parasite gets into some of these cells in, in the body and causes this kind of damage and things like diagnosis and treatment as well. And one thing that you mentioned earlier that we always want to encourage our listeners, if you have more questions, contact your veterinarian. They are the expert and can help you with any any topic that we share. Your veterinarian knows. And if many you don't have answers. a veterinarian yet, give us a call. We'll help you find one. We can do it. If you're not here locally, we'll help you find somebody. Well, Dr. Evison, it's come to that part of the show. And now you kind of spoiler alert, but uh, kind of the... I, of the bet, show. I bet she has more information in her head to share with our curious pet parents. So we asked for the fun fact, a piece of information that our, uh, our, our listeners can win trivia at the local pub or realistically when it's a Shirley. It's all about impressing the family and friends with your wealth of information. Do you have a fun fact? Now, you already shared that the, the name of Bobcat Fever and the Y. Do you have another I, I can share another one, actually. Um, and so I think one of the, and this is maybe me being a, a geeky or nerdy veterinarian, is that one of the ways that we identify that this infection is occurring is when we look under the microscope at blood, you can actually see this particular parasite. It looks almost like a signet ring when it's within the cells. So we, we call it a pyroplasm, but it looks like a signet ring when we look down under the microscope into the blood. And that's one of the ways that we identify that it's there in addition to PCR. Well, that's cool. I don't know. I was going to say maybe Stephen could put that in the show notes, but our show notes lately have been delayed in getting up. But maybe we'll, maybe we'll get it. The, the show notes will be up on this episode. Will they? Will they? They will. Okay. Well, good. Well, uh, Dr. Evison, thank you again for joining us on the Family Pet Podcast. We, I, I know that if our listeners were listening, they've learned some new information. Um, for everyone out there, we hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'll tune in next time. Until then, stay curious. Family Pet Podcast is a podcast for curious pet parents where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. The Family Pet Podcast is a production of Family Pet Health PLLC and is recorded in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The statements made as a part of this show should not be taken as an establishment of any form of a veterinary client-patient relationship. All comments are for entertainment and educational purposes only, and you should reach out to your local veterinary partner before taking any action 
on anything that you've heard here today. We hope that you will share this podcast with a friend, and it would mean so much to us if you would take a moment to leave a review and follow wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Show notes, links, and videos to accompany today's show can be found at thefamilypetpodcast.com.